As we begin to prepare for Easter, we've been in this series, these seven sayings from the cross. We've done that because throughout the history of the church, it's these conversations, these seven sayings that the church has frequently gone back to as they prepare for Easter Sunday and this great celebration of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for us. And so with that tradition continuing in that, that's exactly what we're doing as a church. We're walking through these statements that Jesus made. This Sunday, I want to take you to perhaps the shortest statement that he made. It's this next conversation. I want you to see it. It's in John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 28. It reads, later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge in a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. In examining this statement, the church has said, this is that moment, this is that conversation when Jesus was most like us, when his humanity was most on display. I mean, you see these other statements, Jesus begins with, you're forgiven, and he moves into talking about the thief and saying, today you'll be with me in paradise, and even making sure that his mother's okay in the midst of everything he's going through, and even his statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is also a just triumphant declaration that God will hear him. It's a quote from Psalm 22. But then there's this one, I thirst. It just reveals the humanity of Jesus. And it does. And uh, it's an interesting thing about the body, isn't it? That the body can actually go up to several months without food, up to two months without food, the body can last. But without water, only a couple days. It's only a couple days that your body can survive without any water at all. And so it's common when someone's nearing the end and they're dying that one of the common uh, things they say is, I'm thirsty. And so you'll bring little bits of ice chips or you'll put some water in a sponge and exactly what we're seeing here, it's still practiced to this day. And so Jesus, he makes this statement, I am thirsty. But he does so to reveal scripture, to fulfill scripture. And what he's pointing back to is Psalm 69. And in Psalm 69, it, it says that, hey, I am thirsty, therefore they're going to give me vinegar. It's, it's pointing to this exact moment. And so, yes, Jesus is legitimately thirsty. But at the same time, he's saying that so that anyone would know, anyone who's read this would know, wow, he really is the Messiah. Yeah, I think Jesus was thirsty for water. But I think he was thirsty for more. As does the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And I think that's part of Jesus' thirst too. This thirst for sin to finally be paid for, for death to be defeated, for the will of the Father to be completed, for all these things to finally come to pass, for it to be finished. I think he was thirsty for all that. This last week, here in our in-person services at Central, we welcomed Ron and Nancy Minton from the Ukraine. Now, as we've kind of looked around the world in our time today, uh, the Ukraine is definitely a place that's gathered a lot of attention because of Putin's war and everything that's going on there. And you can imagine there are a lot of people who are thirsty. Yeah, thirsty for their next drink, thirsty for clean water. Yes, absolutely. 
but thirsty for war to be over, thirsty for their lives to get back to some sense of normalcy. They're thirsty, thirsty people. I want you to hear as Ron kind of talks about the state of Ukraine, both spiritually what's going on today, and then a call to us in the midst of living in a land of thirsty people. Check this out. First of all, in Ukraine, there was, uh, when we first moved, there were 51 million people, but people in Ukraine, it's hard living. Even in peacetime, it's hard living. We took a bunch of pictures when we walk around of uh, hazardous, walking hazards, and it's just difficult to live in Ukraine. It really is. And so the population comes, goes down because people have less babies and people get out of the Ukraine if they can. But unfortunately, it's not so easy to leave Ukraine. It's easy now because the war, because people are everybody taking them in. But right now, Ukraine has about 43, 44 million people, and about 3 million have already left the country. So who knows whether they'll come back or not. Ukraine has, a, has had a difficult life their whole time. I'm going to show you some difficulties that they have. Uh, the average worker in our town, if you have a good job, the average worker makes 300 bucks a month. Ukraine is dead spiritually. They think that salvation is by works or they don't really care. In fact, some of our neighbors say that you're too religious if you go to, if you go to church even every Easter. Yes, you go only every other Easter. Okay, that's pretty bad. Okay, he's called all of us to somewhere. And the Jesus, I think Jesus indicated in the Great Commission that we're all missionaries. He said to go to all the world, and that also includes Portsmouth. This is a mission field right here. Your neighbor is who you should be talking to. This is Reconciliation Baptist Church in Rivna. All we did with Vitaly Gravenuk is uh, give him five years of training, bought him an electronic piano, a keyboard thing, and give them a van for six months. And they started this church, and now they have over 100 people. And it's self, they, we don't give them any money. They own this building. They paid for it with their own money. And they have, a, this is a Christian, Christmas evangelism thing. By the way, the Christmas is in January 7th, not in December. It's a little bit different. If you want to really curious, come by and I'll tell you why. And when I asked Vitaly, I preached there last year, and I said, how many people do you have here? And he said, 61. I said, I counted 104. He said, 61. I said, how do you get 61. And he said, we only count saved, baptized, uh, born-again, Christian, regular tenders to count. That's all we count. And I said, in USA, we count everyone, and pregnant women count two. And this is a refugee place where the people are fleeing in one of our bigger churches in Riveted. It's only about two hours before they get into Poland. So they keep them a couple nights, clean them up, and feed them, and send them on. This is a church, also a small house church in Riveted. This is one of the first meetings. It's a, what we, almost every church starts as a house church. And that's us over there preaching and teaching them. And getting this church going. This is one we helped start. Actually, this we didn't help except for we trained these believers in the church, in the uh, classes in Armenia. We've been having classes about three or four years now. Getting ready to open the second one, the second uh, built, uh, class in Armenia. And these are people who took classes and started this church. That little tin building is all that there is, okay? It won't hold but maybe eight people. I'm not sure how many. And there was Nancy playing the, the uh, accordion or whatever they call that thing, keyboard. And I preached, and it was quite an episode, quite an interesting thing. We don't think, tend to think much of that, but that's what the Bible says a church is. It's, remember, the church is people. We are the church. This building here is not a church. This is a, what we call church in our culture by the word. But the church, ecclesia, means a group, an assembly. That's what we are. And it's a very important uh, distinction. We found the Bible college is effective to start churches. We've started over 30 churches in Ukraine. I still get emails from Siberia and Latvia and Estonia and places around some places we've never been but our students took some classes 
They usually don't graduate. That's what bothers me. They usually don't graduate. They take a few years of classes, get married, take off. They go to Siberia and buy a house for 3000 bucks. They have to work to get that much money. And raise a kid and start a church. I got a church email the other day. A guy said, we have 22 people coming to our church. And I thought, wow, that's in Siberia. There's probably not a person in this room, including me, who could do that. That's not easy. The coldest part in northern Siberia gets minus 40 every year. Minus 40, by the way, is where Celsius and Fahrenheit meet. That's the only place they meet. These are university kids. Our college students that go to the university invite the university kids to come. You can say, good here, Americans speak English, which is what they want. They want to learn English. And they cannot afford to pay an American to get to learn English. And so we come and tell them the gospel and everything. We've had kids pray to receive the Lord right there in the grass. And we have evangelism. Every student we have, and it's been, a, it's been 2,000 students, but every one of them eventually will have to take a class called evangelism. Because everybody should be, the Bible says even if you don't have the gift of evangelism, Paul commands all Christians to do the work of an evangelist. And that means you have neighbors and people that you know who you, they need to hear the gospel. Our 2018, we started our summer English club. And the kids come, we teach them the gospel. We even tell in our advertisement around to the neighborhood that we will teach your kids Bible stories, what the Bible says. We're going to teach your kid how to be better children and uh, live good lives. And also they're going to learn English better because they're going to be taught by Americans and it's free. And then you cannot, they cannot afford American teachers anywhere in Ukraine. Maybe in Kiev, some rich people, but very few. And so we get about 60 kids every year. There you see meeting under a big, gigantic apple tree. In fact, those sticks are holding some of the branches up, so we need to hold them up so the kids can fit under there. Because it does get hot in the summertime. And they love launching water balloons. Water balloons is something new to them. They love that. We had to buy over 100 extra water balloons for this stuff. And these girls were the best. These kids were the best students or higher students, about 12, 15 of them. We gave them a new Bible. It's uh, Russian on one side and English on the other side in modern language and very, very good quality. And there's, if you look just behind there, it says greenhouse. And that's where we meet with the upper level. This is the better students, that, including those three girls or those three people and two translators. And that's uh, the uh, Eric Simpson, the missionary in uh, England who is a pastor of a church and they can invite people sponsor people from Ukraine, so he's sponsoring Tanya, one of our other workers. And that's Tanya teaching English to the kids. And we cleaned out our garage, which was no mean, ta no simple task, and we had a big double sheet, and we had this big projector, makes a big picture, about as big as these things on the wall. And these kids never get a picture like that, so we show Christian movies, and they come out. Every time we have this with popcorn, we get more people than we can fit in there. And on the November 30th, it's supposed to be Oktoberfest, we were a little bit late, but the all the parents are allowed to come and have a, we advertise American hot dogs, American chili. We make about four gallons of chili. They eat it all up. Okay. <laughs> this is the orphan girl in Lugansk where the war is right now, which you cannot, we cannot go back there. She prayed to receive the Lord. We gave her this Bible. It says in Russian language, Gospel of Luke. She had never seen a Bible in her life, but she knows how to read. And we started the Bible College 2006. We go to all these different cities, bigger land, even in different countries, but in large cities, and use both languages and more languages now. We teach leaders. These are people that are uh, learning to start churches and pastor churches and all this kind of stuff. This is a bomb that's happened right close to Tanya's apartment. And this, uh, it's stuck in, the, it did not explode. It's, it's, they come so fast. This is a hard pavement, sticks a, a foot to a foot and a half, even two feet in the solid ground and doesn't blow up. And we have several pictures just like this. This is an interesting thing from a lady that we taught and we preached in their church. And she's a grandma now, and this is a good testimony. 
And you don't get a testimony like this unless you are grounded in the Word of God. There is no substitute. There is no substitute. You know the Word of God or you're going to be a weak Christian for your whole life. I like what that group's saying up there. Jesus is what they said, said the promise keeper. And only John, by the way, says this double amen. I'm on amen, amen in English, amen, amen. In Russian, amen, amen. And basically what it means is truly, truly, verily, verily, or absolutely is true. And in John 6, 6, 27, Jesus said, I guarantee you, I most assuredly tell you that whoever believes in me has eternal life. So what I tell every group, salvation is free, but discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, is costly. It's easy to get into heaven, but what you do there is going to depend on what you do here. So keep that in mind. Salvation is free and discipleship is costly. So true, isn't it? And it brings us to this pivotal question. What are you thirsty for? Are you thirsty for some kind of a relationship? Are you thirsty for more money, a better job, maybe some kind of physical healing? Or are you thirsty to be the man or the woman that God has made you to be, to be the disciple maker that God has called you? to be. What is it that you're thirsty for? You know, as we've looked at this statement from Jesus on the cross, I thirst. It's interesting as you look at the landscape of John's gospel, because this idea of thirst, it comes up on several occasions. And it's interesting where it comes up. There's that moment in John chapter four. You remember that moment. It's the moment with Jesus when he meets this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. And they're having this conversation where Jesus asks her, hey, can I have something to drink? And it's the heat of the day. She's gone there. She's the social outcast. She's had numerous husbands. The guy she's with now is not her husband. She's not someone who even the other Samaritans wanted to associate with. And here Jesus, this Jewish man in the middle of the day is talking to her. And so, you know, she's almost dumbfounded by the fact that he'd even be talking to her. And then Jesus makes this statement, oh woman, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink because I can give you living water such that you will never thirst again. And then just a couple chapters later in John chapter seven, as Jesus is addressing the multitude, he says, he who, he who is thirsty and comes to me will never be thirsty again. So to come to him, never to be thirsty again. And now here's Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. The, the spring of living water is about to be extinguished. And so we have this painful moment here at the end of John's gospel where everything that's built up to Jesus, he's the one who relieves thirst. He's the one who gives purpose, who gives meaning, where you find everything you need for every moment of every day. And now he's almost gone. And with him being gone, that spring dries up. There is no more living water where you never thirst again. All that goes out the window. So this is the tension that's being created in John's gospel. What do you do when Jesus is gone? Of course, we know the end of the story. We know what happens at Easter, how he doesn't stay dead. He defeats death. Why? So that living water never runs out so that we never have to thirst. So these things that really matter in life, what we should thirst for, to be the men, the women that God has called us to be, to be the disciple makers that he's made us to be, 
that we'd thirst for these costly things in life. And we'd only achieve them. We'd only find them. We'd only find that fulfillment, that satisfaction when we come to him, when we trust in him. That's the challenge. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do provide all of our sustenance, that we can come to you when we thirst, when we hungry, when we're hungry, and you meet all of those needs. So God, help us to thirst for what we ought to, thirst for the things that you've made us to be. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus. Amen.